We are learning Daftzadi. We're starting from the bottom. Mishnah Peites Amid Beis. So the Mishnah speaks about a situation of Shnei Gitin and Shnei Ksubas. A woman has two Gitin and two Ksubas. So yesterday we learned that the, the simple way that a woman collects her Ksuba is hopefully she has a get that proves that she's divorced and she has a Ksuba that shows that she hasn't collected her Ksuba yet. But here today's Daf, we have two Gitin and two Ksubas. So obviously what occurred it must have been that there was a divorce. He remarried her. And in the time that he remarried her, he wrote her again another Ksuba. So now she's been divorced twice, two separate marriages, two separate ksubas. So what's the halacha kovash tiksubas? He has the right to collect payments two different times. And the idea is that when a husband married her again, if he does, if he does accept to write on himself a second ksuba, then he owes her a second ksuba. So therefore, as long as she's able to prove that that's what occurred, because she has the two gitin and the two ksubas, then she will be owed two separate payments. But she ksubas Let's say she had two ksuba documents, but she only has one get. So basically, what does that mean? Both of the ksuba documents must have been written before she was divorced. It was talking about the same marriage. It's not that she has two ksubas from two different marriages. Now, the idea is that the husband must have, must have written two ksuba documents for the same marriage. Then what? Or, in other case, o ksuba shnei getin. Let's say she has one ksuba and two getin, which means that she must have been divorced, taken back, but her husband didn't write her a new ksuba. The, he, must, he must have not have paid her out after divorcing her. And then when he remarried her, he said, you know what? Let's just come back together. Uh, reconcile under the same ksuba, and she was okay with that. Oh, ksuba get umi. So, if it was a ksuba get, and she proves that her husband died, I mean, obviously, what must have happened is he wrote the ksuba, divorced her, and remarried her without writing another one, and then he subsequently died. So, again, here, that the point is, is that the second marriage did not have an undertaking of a second ksuba. So, in all these cases, eno gova ksuba acha. She only came, she only collects one ksuba payment, even though he remarried. They were two separate marriages. But if somebody divorces his wife and he remarries her, if he doesn't undertake to write a new ksuba, as long as he hadn't paid out the old one from the first marriage, and now he remarries her, the assumption is he's remarrying her based upon the first ksuba, meaning that's like an uh, implicit understanding between the two parties, between the husband and the wife, is as follows. He's saying to her, let's reconcile and let's assume that the debt, the obligation of the first ksuba is going to continue into the second marriage as well, which is an interesting point because technically he owed her the money as soon as he divorced her right away. He hadn't paid her yet. So now just because they reconcile and he's remarrying her, so what happened to that debt? The answer is that's goofal what the understanding is, is that she's kind of like in a certain way forfeiting her right to collect it then and putting it into a future collected debt in, in, in the ksuba that will be throughout the second marriage. So now she doesn't get, um, she doesn't get a, a second ksuba. In the beginning of the Mishnah where she has two ksuba documents and two divorces, so that's where we say it's different because there we say that the husband did write a second ksuba he did write a second ksuba when he remarried her. So we see that she didn't give up on her right to collect the debt from the ksuba of the first divorce. And the second one, there's two separate debts. But here in the seifa, there's only one ksuba here. We're only saying that there's one collection. So now the Gemara analyzes. In our case, the Gemara analyzes the case where there were two ksubas and one get. That's another case. Obviously, what must have happened? It must have been that there's only one marriage and the husband must have increased or just decided to give her more. Maybe that's why he wrote a second document. So there as well, she only gets one ksuba. Even though there's two ksubas, but there are two documents, but there was one, one marriage. It was one marriage. Even no matter how many documents he writes her, she only collects one. So the Mar says it implies, she could use either one. Meaning, obviously, one was written first and one was written second. And maybe the amounts are different or whatever it is. And the implication is that both are valid ksubas. She can use either one. She cannot use both. She can collect twice, but she has the option of using either one. Says that while limit of yotzer Rav Nachman Rishul should reject what Shmuel said. That Rav Nachman Rishul shnei sharsi yosim bezachas. Let's say I have two documents on the same obligation that are dated one after the other. So let's say for example, Amalva has two documents that are recording the same exact loan, 
and uh, or you buy a property and you have two deeds, not two exact, and one is dated one after the other, and the creditor wants to enforce. <clears throat> wants to enforce the lien and he wants to go collect, let's say, from properties which were sold that the borrower sold after taking the lien. And the question basically is, is which star do we use? And it makes a huge difference because you can only, the lien is present only from the date that it says in the document. So which document is the valid one? The one written first or the one written second? How does it work? So we say, Shmuel says, Bitos Shenezerisha, and the second one nullifies the first. Whenever there's two documents, one dated after the other, the idea is that with the, the second document, when the Lova accepted that, and then with the Malva, they're nullifying the first one. It's like we're redoing it and we're only going to use the second one. So therefore, let's say in terms of a lien and collection, you would only go after the date in the second one. And the second star, only property sold uh, in the time after the date in the second star, which we say you could collect from. And the idea is that you always go after the second star. It's like a nullification of the first one. So the Gemara's question is that so too here you should say it by us. So if a woman has two ksubas from the same marriage, whatever reason the husband wrote two, she shouldn't be, the mistress shouldn't say she could collect with one. The mistress should say she should only collect with the second one. That's what it should say. Whatever, the, only from the lien in the second one, only the amount of the second one, and so on and so forth. So the Gemara says, well, that's only true if it's a replica, exactly the same. But if he added even just one palm tree, let's say I sell you a, 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 a field. And then, and then in the second, I write you a deed. And then I write you another deed tomorrow that says exactly the same thing. Then we say that it's only the second one. But if in the second one, I, and I sell you, I'm, I write in the deed an additional palm tree, then I say, no, 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 really, both shards are valid. The reason I wrote the second star, the second document, is not to nullify the first one. It's to add that there's also now a palm tree in it. And therefore, you could use the first deed and minus the palm tree, or you could use the second deed and include the palm tree, but only have a later lien. You have options. So Achanami B'tosavah, this is we're talking about, he added. So let's say he originally wrote her 200 zoos, and he dated it September 20. Then on September 20, 21st, he writes a second deed, and he, add, and he writes another extra 100. It says 300 in it. So now that's going to be the law. If the woman wants 300, and she only has a lien from the later date. But if she wants to only collect the 200, then she has a lien, a lien from the earlier date. And that's what, our, that's what we meant, that we, she can use either one. All right, continues the Gemara. So let's say she has a get. She has a ksuba, and she has proof that her husband died. So what do we say? So it depends what the date you're going on here. If the, if the get precedes the ksuba document, meaning, what does that mean? He divorced her, he remarried her, and then he wrote her a new ksuba. That must be what happened, because that's why the get date is before the ksuba's date. So obviously he remarried her um, a second time and obligated himself to another ksuba. So then, and then she has witnesses that he died. So therefore, go to the ksubas. Because even though she doesn't, have, she doesn't have her ksuba from her original marriage, every marriage gives you a right to, as we said yesterday, if you just have a get, even without a ksuba, you collect, you collect the ksuba. So from the get, she has a right to collect the first ksuba. And, 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 her second, and, and the ksuba document that she has, which is dated afterwards, shows that she was remarried and the, the husband undertook to give her a new ksuba. And now that she has witnesses that he died, so now she's owed a second ksuba. So then she can collect twice. Whereas ksuba kodemus the get, if the date of the ksuba precedes the get, so that indicates it was written for the first marriage, then then she only collects one, because even though she was remarried and widowed, it doesn't make a difference, because, as we learned in the Mishnah, if a person divorces his wife, and he owed her the ksuba, if, 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 she rec- if she reconciles with him, and they don't undertake a new ksuba, then what's the law? We assume that he's remarrying her just based upon the first ksuba. She's not entitled to a second one. It's just keeping the original one going. So you let her remarry her yeah, it's not, it's not also. She just has to agree to it. That's what it seems like. She, you know, she has to have that security. And even though she, she can say, technically, I'm already owed the money. I want a new security. But if she doesn't, she doesn't say that, then that's the implicit understanding.
continues the Mishnah Katan of let's say a minor was married off by his father, so meaning he wasn't really married with Arisa um, because it was just an arranged marriage, he was a young boy, and then now he's older. So whatever the wife's suba that he wrote as a minor remains in force. Ah, he didn't have das when he wrote it, it wasn't binding halachically. Shamanaz came kima, once he becomes of age, he keeps her on that condition, meaning we're assuming that the bia that he's going to have with his wife after he turns of age, when he turns mature, is going to be Lashem Kedushin. He's going to have the requisite das to marry her, and the assumption is that they're using the same suba which was written from before, which is a novelty, because in other words, really, they're only becoming married Really, now, once, it, once he becomes of age of maturity. And the assumption that the Mishnah is saying is though, that they still have das to use original ksuba. So whatever was written in that one, whatever the amounts are, even though at the time it was written, he wasn't of das, but those amounts are binding because the assumption is that they're making the condition now binding with the bia after he's mature based upon the original ksuba. Similar, similar idea. Let's say you have two non-Jews who convert. And it happens to be that they had a ksuba, right? They had a marriage contract. So about what would it would be, or maybe they knew that they were converting, you know, something like that. So the halacha is, so now they're really only becoming married, with the dining and all the das. Now, we still say, so what was written before the conversion remains in force. Because again, the assumption is, amenaz kein kaima. And again, that's a pashup shah, which is it's an assumption of das, that they're having be the shame kedushin now, and therefore, we keep that original one. Famous cook, tumult in the place, is their shava prachas, right? Do you have shava brachos? In this case, when you think about it, it's a new marriage. Right? Gersh and Iskaya, two a couple converts, so they're, they're getting married now. That's really what's happening. It's just that the ksuba is based upon what he wrote to her maybe even before, because we assume that that's what was in their mind, that the ksuba should continue, but they're, they're getting married now. So they have a shabrachos right after the Gersh gets married, um, right after the Gersh converts. Interesting question. Okay. <clears throat> so now the Gemara talks about how much of the ksuba remains in place by the, by the kid who grew up, grows up. That's only for the principal amount of the mana or 200. Only that amount of the ksuba is valid. Any additional amounts, right? remember the husband can supplement, any additional amounts are not, that were recorded in the original ksuba are not binding. Says the Gemara, she has rights even to the additional amounts. Says the Gemara, if they, the minor, became of age, adds a new amount, she can still she can take what they added. So it sounds like it's only if they add a new amount after they grew up, in, only if they added it then. But if they didn't add any amount later, they just relied on whatever it said in the original ksuba, then they can't take the extra amounts. They can only take the base amount of the ksuba. So the Gemara says, you could say what the Bible means is that they can collect also what they added, meaning besides what was originally written in the Ksuba, if they add new things now, they can collect that too. But they really certainly have rights to whatever was written originally in the Ksuba. But the Gemara says that's not true. Lotaniach, the Bryce definitely says, otherwise, if they add a new man in the Ksuba, she can take what they added. If they didn't add anything new, now, then the Pesula collects 200, the Amana collects Amana, but nothing else. So what's clear? It's clear that she cannot collect anything um, any of the extra supplementary amounts which were added to the original ksuba. She only collects the basic 100 or, uh, or 200. And that's an interesting idea. In other words, we're saying that we don't assume that he's necessarily keeping her based upon everything that was in the ksuba. It's just based upon the original ksuba, the principal amount. But the extra things which he may have committed while he was a child, those are not binding unless he specifically comes ahead and, uh, and, and writes that. Now, that he's immature. And the Gemara explains why did Review them make the mistake? Review them as Nisan He was confused by the language of the Mishnah. What was the language of the Mishnah? Who's Savak Kayemes? The Mishnah said her Ksuba is Kayem. It's remaining in force. So Akulam Musulka, it sounds like it's going on the whole matter of the Ksuba. 
uh, the, the basic amounts, the principal plus any tosefes. For lohi, it's not the case. It's only talking about the principal amount. And since it's only talking about the principal amount, review this point is rejected. We don't assume that any supplementary amounts that the kid had undertook while he was a child remain in effect after he turns to an adult. It's just the basic suba, which is continuing. Okay. Now we start a new parak here. New parak is a very interesting, complex parak. Not such an easy parak, to be honest. It's all about a person who has multiple debts and he doesn't have enough assets to cover all of them. That's more or less the issue of the parak. Misha and also Shane Ash, a person who is married to two wives, who mates, he dies. So what does that mean? Now that he dies, both of their exubus are owed, right? They're both widowed. And so, so both of them have rights to come collect from his estate. But what's the issue? His issue is that the, he doesn't have sufficient funds. Again, his real estate is what's mishubad. He's leaning the property on the real estate, and they can come collect. But the issue he doesn't, is that he doesn't have enough real estate to cover both ksuba. So what's the halacha? The first wife is priority over the second wife. What's the pshat? Most simple thing in the world. Whose lien came first? Right? That's always priority. If whoever, in other words, even though the time of payment, this is important, even though the time of payment is now, it's not pshat, the debt is incurred now. The debt is incurred in a certain sense that the shibut is created as soon as the marriage occurs. So the woman to get married first, her lien on the property came before the woman who got married second. So therefore, she has the right to take ahead of the second one. And if there's nothing with the second one, tough luck. There was, there's not enough property. The archery are before we, we, we understand what that means, let's try to make sure we understand what we remember. We learned before in Ksubas, there's something called Ksubas Benin Dichrin. What does that mean? What's Ksubas Benin Dichrin? So this is mamish like a case like this. What happens is, is that we want to make sure the fathers are giving really good dowries, making sure that they're sending in a lot of property with their daughters into the marriage. Now, the issue why they're reluctant to do that is because they're okay if knowing that, you know, even if hypothetically the... Uh, the, their son-in-law might, de- might die, who will inherit it? Their grandchildren. Then they're okay with that, right? It doesn't make a difference to them. They'll stay in the family. My grandkids will get all the things I'm giving. Fine, they're okay with that. What they're not okay with is their son-in-law taking perhaps another wife and having a lot of kids with her. And now when their son-in-law dies, a lot of the dowry is going to be that, that the son-in-law took is going to be inherited not only by his grandkids, but by some other random kids that his son-in-law had that aren't his grandkids. And that is a deterrent for a future father-in-law to give a nice dowry. So therefore, there's a takana that was made as follows. Ksubas bin indichrin. What does that mean? It means whatever dowry came in or whatever amount of ksuba was undertook for this guy's daughter, the halacha is when the son-in-law will die, that amount will only be inherited by his grandkids, not by the other kids. So here in our case, right, a man has two separate marriages, two separate wives. And now that he dies, he's got all these kids, right? All these kids who are going to inherit. Besides the two ksubas, he has... Um, all these kids who are going to uh, always uh, who are going to inherit. So we spoke about before where the husband died and the wives are collecting the ksubas. But let's assume the wives died as well. So the wives are dead and now the husband died. So now it's a question of yarshining the amounts of the dowries and the ksubas that were originally owed to their mothers. So the shaila is who comes first if there's not potentially enough to cover both? Because you're yarshi You're supposed to be inheriting the amount of your mother's ksuba and her dowry. So that's very good if there are sufficient funds, right? But if let's say it's insufficient funds for both Yarshim of both mothers to get to get their mother's suban dowry. So the Mishnah says, Yarshina, the heirs of the first wife have priority over the heirs of the second wife. If both women are dying before any payment was made. So in other words, imagine something like that. You know, the, the, the suddenly suddenly the the mothers dropped dead as well. So now they're yarshining the ksubas. So we say, right, instead of it evenly distributed between all the kids, we say there's ksubas been indifferent. And who comes first? Who has the right to collect their mother's ksuba first? 
the first kids because again their mother's tzuva was incurred first. So the two different separate points the mission was making. The first part of the mission was making a point that if the father died and now the mothers are collecting the tzuva, so whichever wife got married first collect first. The second part of the mission is, is discussing subas binin dechrin in a case where the wives die as well and the heirs are yashining her tzuva that takana and we're saying that whichever wife's tzuva came first, her heirs will get it first. Here's a little variation. Nasser is of Mesa. He married the first wife and she died. Then Nasser Shniya, he marries the second one, Mesu, and then he dies. So now, why is this complicated? Because there's two separate things here. The first wife is gone. Her children are yashining her tzuva. The second wife is alive, and after the husband dies, she needs to collect her tzuva. So what do I have here? I have two things. I have the children of the first wife standing to inherit her tzuva, and I have the second wife coming out like, being like a creditor to collect. So what's that? So now here, the second wife or her heirs are going to have priority over the heirs of the first wife. Why? Let's just understand what that means. Because even though the Yarshim of the first wife are meant to take the Ksuba of their mother, that's great. But all of the estate owes to the creditors, right? To the second wife. Or if then she dies after the death of the husband, her heirs, they are coming to, to, to collect, not the Yarshim. They're coming as creditors to collect. So they can take away from the children of the first one. So before this, in the case where they both wives died in the life of the husband, and then he died, so very good. Here it's like all of us are just ksubas, ksubas been indifferent altogether. We're both inheriting, so therefore the first one comes before the second one. But in our case, the first ones are inheriting, the second ones are creditors. So therefore they can, even if the first ones end up really being like Yarashim, but the second ones are able to take away. So first the Gemara makes a very, very interesting deal. What was the language? We have two wives, right? And he dies. And they're both collecting, I'm not for both. We said the first one comes before the second one. So, Mithikani, what was the language? First one has priority over the second one. For Lokadani, it doesn't say, it doesn't say more a strength in the language. It could have said stronger. The first wife has, and the second wife doesn't have. First wife receives, and the second one doesn't receive. It didn't say it that strongly. It just said she has priority. Why did it say it that way? Why did it tone down the emphasis? Imagine that the second girl went first, and she took the property. We wouldn't take it away from her, even though the first girl has priority because her lien was first. But if the second girl gets in there first, she's able to seize the property. We would allow her to keep it. Why? Because Lamaisa, there is a lien to her. It's fascinating. Even though priority is given to the first lien, but she is owed the money as well, the second woman. So therefore, we say that if she seizes it before the first one, we allow her to keep it. Sounds like here. Imagine a person borrows money from two different people at different times. So he owes one person money before he owes the other person the money. And then he doesn't have, you know, the sufficient funds to pay both of them back. So of course we would say, the first creditor collects and the second one gets pushed away. But if the second creditor would come and seize, whatever he collected, we would allow him to collect. That's what we see from the Mishnah, which is a really interesting point. How she wouldn't work and how liens work and really interesting ideas that if I'm owed money... I have the right to seize property even if it means that someone who has owed money before me is going to lose out. So the Gemara says, no, maybe our whole inference is wrong. Maybe a later creditor, if he collected, it's not collected, meaning he's not allowed to keep what he took. What does the mission mean that the first wife has priority? It means total priority. Total priority means to the extent that if it was taken away first by the other one, we would take it away from that. Where do I see that the Lashon of Kaidim of priority can imply complete priority? Because it's not like it says in Mishnah of Bain Kodan Labas. When it talks about inheriting the state, it says a son comes before a daughter. There, of course, if the daughter would take, we would take it away from her because precedence of the son over the daughter is complete. Absolute. So, therefore, we see that sometimes the language can be used in that way and maybe it's used that way by us as well. 
Says the Mar Yigdami, some people make the opposite inference. Different, a different version here. For the fact that the Mishnah didn't discuss what would happen if the second wife went ahead and took ahead of the first wife, the Mishnah just said the first one has priority. It didn't say, and if the second girl goes and dates, it's not chal. We didn't say that. So we should infer the Kamashni of a Tasmafkinum. I'm sorry, we, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I said it wrong. It didn't say if the second one goes and takes it, we, that, we take it that, that we don't take it away from her. If there's a place for her tfisa to help, maybe the Mishnah should have emphasized that halacha. The Mishnah should have taught us that novelty. That if the second girl goes and takes ahead of the first girl, even though she's not supposed to, that we don't take it away from her. For the fact that the Mishnah did not discuss that, and it just said the first girl has priority over the second girl, McLeod, we see, we would take it away from her. Because if we wouldn't, the Mishnah would have pointed that out. And that's the difference between the two Lashonos. The second version is making the diak from the, not from the language of the Mishnah, but from the absence in the Mishnah. The Mishnah did not say that if the second girl goes and takes it, we'd leave it with her. Shmami, no, what do I see? We take it away. Whatever is collected by the later creditor is not kept. Says the Gemara, that inference is not necessarily correct. Maybe whatever a later creditor takes ahead is collected or remains by them. And the Mishnah was just left it out because it teaches in the end of the Mishnah, the second wife or her heirs have priority over the heirs of the first wife. And there, the halacha is that the first wife's heirs are not allowed to keep the payment if they would seize it. And that's obvious because what's the whole point? The whole point is that, is that the, the second wife or her creditor are, or, or her children are creditors against them so they can always take it away. Seizing is not going to help. You can take it right away. You take it right now. But then comes along the creditor and takes it away. It's never going to work. So there, just like in the safe of the Mishnah, it's obvious that seizing is not going to help. So the ratio of the Mishnah didn't discuss what would, what would happen by seizing. It didn't mention in the ratio what would happen if the second wife would seize it ahead. But maybe in Akhanami. Maybe in this, if, if, what in fact would be the law, if, if the second wife went ahead and seized the head of the first wife, maybe we would let her keep it. It's possible. Okay, here we go. Now, let's go back again to our Ksubas Ben Okay, we gotta go, we gotta get into this now. So remember, Ksubas Ben Indichrin, the father was reluctant for the dowry, therefore the Chachamim made a takana, that when the husband has a lot of kids from different marriages, we say that if the mother died first and she never collected her ksuba, all of her ksuba and all of her dowry goes only, is inherited only by her children. It's not divided evenly between all children of the father. And we saw an interesting thing that, that, that comes out here in the Mishnah, that if there, let's say there were two sets of kids with two separate mothers, right, that we say that each of them are standing to be uh, to, to get the ksubas ben indichrin. So, so, so we say the Yarshe of the first wife get the ksubas ben indichrin ahead of the second wife. And then the Mishnah mentioned, and if the second wife dies, um, she died after the husband died, so the second wife is a creditor, so then she's going to take away from the ksubas ben indichrin of the first one. So, Zakti Gemara. Shmami not class. From that last case of the Mishnah, we can learn three things. Shmami not different. We see if a person had two wives. One died during his lifetime, and one died after his death. Mamish, the last case of the Mishnah. Therefore, the one that died during his lifetime, her children want to have the Ksubas bin The second one who died after his death, she is a creditor. What is the halacha? We see that the heirs of the first wife have rights to Ksubas bin the reason that's a novelty is because we're not concerned it might lead to fighting. You know why it might lead to fighting? Because there are two sets of kids here. One, the, 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 sets, the, the set of children from the first wife are saying, hey, we have Ksuba's been indifferent. Our mother died during the husband's lifetime, never collected Ksuba, and it was never owed Ksuba, so we inherit everything our grandfather gave in the dowry. The second children whose mother died after the husband died, so they are not getting ksubas ben indichrin. They just are. They they just inherited their mother's right to be a creditor and collector ksuba, but they don't get the ksubas ben indichrin. There's no takana ksubas ben indichrin where the mother died 
after the father died. So you might say it's going to lead to fighting. It could be horrible fighting might break out. What, I have a right to be an inheritor and you're only a creditor? Like, how, do, how does that work? They're not unequal. So if, let's say, both mothers die in the lifetime of the father, so then very good. We're both two husband and different. And even if they're different amounts, you know, okay, so your grandfather poured in this amount and your grandfather poured in this amount. That doesn't mean fighting. Fighting is when one comes like inheritors and one comes like creditors. And that comes in this situation where it's achas bechayov. The first wife dies in the lifetime of the husband. So therefore her children are coming out as inheritors of ksubas ben indichon of her ksuba. And then the second wife dies in the, after the husband died. So she was a creditor and her, her, and her children are inheriting the debt to go collect from the estate. But they're not inheritors of her ksuba. So therefore, you would say it might lead to a lot of fighting. You know what? You see from the Mishnah that that's not that way. We see that it's not true. And even in a case where it's we still apply to what's been indifferent. And we give to the heirs of the first one their ksuba. How do we see this? My, because what was the case in the Mishnah? What did it say? Where one wife died while the husband, while the husband was alive. The second one died after the death of the husband. What do we say? What's going to happen is that the second wife or her children are going to have priority over the heirs of the first wife. Why? What does that mean they're going to have priority? It means that after the, they take, after the first children take their Yerusha of Ksuba's been indifferent, the second wife or her heirs are going to come collect away from them because they're old Ksuba. So Mekdimu we see that the priority have, what is the idea of priority is that they come and collect out creditors. Hashakli, shakli. You see that there is an inherent right for them to take Ksuba's been indifferent. That's not the question. The question isn't, isn't there a right for the first kids to have Ksuba's been indifferent? The point is, even after they inherit, but the second wife or her heirs are still take the credit away from them. So that makes a big difference in our mission. If there was a very limited amount, who's going to get the insufficient funds for both? We say that the second wife or her children end up winning because they come out creditors and take away from the inheritors of, of the first of the first Ksuba. But imagine the husband, was a multi, the husband was a multimillionaire and there was enough for everybody. So that means that the Ksuba's been indifferent would still be established and go to the first kids. And then the, the second wife or her kids would take from something else in the estate. The point is there's still fundamentally a Ksuba's been indifferent. That's the point that we see that we see over here because the Mishnah said the second one are the second wife are getting priority over the first kids because since there's insufficient funds and the second one's creditor, so they're taking away from the inheritance. But I see fundamentally that there's inheritance because if there would be no fundamentally, fundamentally there's no inheritance in the case of Achas Misa, then the Mishnah is not saying the second ones come first. The part is there is no Tsubas ben Indichin. That's I wouldn't say it that way. But why are we worried about fighting? Why aren't we worried about fighting? It must be that we're just not concerned. Everyone will understand that it's based upon the understanding of the law. The, the first kids, that they, their mother died in the lifetime of the father, and the second one, must be that's the chiddush that we're not concerned. Or, you know what? Sometimes people fight. That's all it is. Says the Gemara, second halacha we can infer. Shema We learn from here that Iksuba can become the extra part it can become the extra part for Ksuba's been indifferent. This takes us back to something I know is a little, is a little tricky because remember, as soon as we remember a lot. Ksuba's been indifferent is like inheritance. However, the rabbi said we only say that if besides for the amount of the Ksuba of their mother, there's at least a dinner left in the property to be inherited regularly. Meaning if the only, prop, if the only value of the estate is exactly the value of the mother's Ksuba and her dowry, then there's no Ksuba's been indifferent. The idea is that the Rabbana will only misak in the special Ksuba if there's also a little bit of a regular a regular inheritance, so even if it's only a dinner's worth. But if there's a regular amount 
of a dinner which is being inherited regularly between all the kids, there we say Ksubas bin indifferent applies. But if there's not even that amount, there's no Ksubas bin indifferent. So in our Mishnah, what's going on here? Is there sufficient amounts? Is there a dinner that's being inherited, inherited besides the Ksubas bin indifferent? There's not. How do you see that in our Mishnah? Because that was the whole point. There's insufficient funds. The first kids, Be'etzim, are inheriting their the entire Ksubas bin indifferent. And then the second wife or her kids are coming and collecting away. So they're taking everything. That's the whole point. It sounds like in the Mishnah that, that even if it's after it's all collected, there's nothing else. It's just that amount is the whole, is the whole thing. Still, we say Ksubas bin indifferent. How does that work? Must be pshat is that we view that the rights of the, of, the, of the second wife or now to her heirs to collect the second Ksuba, that is the surplus dinner. That gufa can function as the surplus dinner. We see that in the Mishnah didn't make a point of saying that the heirs of the first wife collect the ksuba only if there's a surplus dinner besides that. Apparently, it could be that the gufa, the ksuba payment that they're making to the heirs of the second wife, that itself is considered like there's a dinner and you don't need anything more, which is really a chiddish because ultimately, practically, the first kids aren't dividing anything with the second kids about that extra dinner. You could say maybe the dinner has to be something which will practically be divided. In our case, where the, the extra dinner, or the way it's working is just that it's going to be paid into the, the creditors, into the second ksuba, who says that means that there was really a Yerusha. We say, no, there was a Yerusha. It just happens to be that it had to be paid off. Um, it just happens to be it had to be paid off to creditors. And the third halacha, you see from here that Ksubas bin Indichrin, they cannot take away from property that was sold by the husband. Meaning Ksubas bin Indichrin is you have the right to inherit the Ksuba, your mother, and your dowry. What if the, the father had sold properties? You can't come now the children after their mother died in the lifetime of the father and collect away from properties that the father sold. How do we see that? Whatever the father left, you could take. The amount that equal to the mother ksuba, but you can't take from Mishubadi. South Africa, from Mishubadi, if it would be true that you would take away from properties the father sold, let the children of the first wife come and collect their mother ksuba from the sons of the second wife. Meaning, in our case, the first wife died in the husband's, in the husband's lifetime. The second wife now comes and collects her ksuba from the kids because you and I, Yarshin, very nice, but I'm a creditor, I take away. But if they could take away from Mishubadi, let them come and say, very good, you come and you collect it. But I have a bigger right because I came first. Remember, they're the children of the first wife. So, Shlama, if you say that in has been indifferent is only inheritance and it can never take away from Mishabadim, then it's good. I have a right to inherit. You're a creditor. You take away from me. Now I'm stuck. But if they would, had it been that they could take away even from Mishabadim and their lien was first, so then they should take away from the creditor who took away because they were really first. Must be, we see Ksubas bin indifferent is only more like an inheritance. They don't have a right to take away from properties which were sold. Which is exactly the same halacha as, as inheritance, right? A son, after his father dies, he can't go uh, collect on properties that his father sold in his lifetime, right? So that's the idea. So it's been a different chazal made like an inheritance. Can't away from, you can't take away from the chazal mishubad. So now the Gemara tries to challenge some of these uh, deductions that we made. How do you know the first one was right? Maybe really when two wives died, one in his lifetime, one after his death, we don't say... That the uh, that the first kids get ksubas bin indifferent because it might lead to fighting. Maybe really we are concerned for fighting, and we only say ksubas bin indifferent where all kids are getting an inheritance in their mother. But where the first kid's mother died in the lifetime, and the second kid's mother died after the lifetime of the father, maybe really there's no ksubas bin indifferent. And what did our Mishnah mean when it said kodmin that the second kids and their the second wife and her children have priority? What it meant to say they have priority lenach lakatani. It only means to say that their mother's ksuba has priority over the, in, over the inheritance of the remainder of the estate. 
Meaning, what we mean to say is, um, all, what we mean to say is the heirs of the first wife maybe are not taking the ksubas v'nindichrin, even if there is enough funds that would, re- that would remain after they pay off the second wife's ksuba. And we just mean to say, it just means that they are, by priority means that they're entitled to collect the, the debt that was owed to the mother before we divide the rest. Meaning, the Mishnah is not saying anything about whether or not the first kids are going to get the ksubas v'nindichrin. Maybe really they get nothing at all. The point that the Mishnah would be saying is, we're just going to divide everything equally. There's no, not going to be any special taconic suvasman and different. And we're just saying that the second wife or her kids collect their ksuba before we divide equally. Says the Gemara, is that a novelty then? Bishlam, if you say that it means before the first kids take the ksuba's been indifferent, that's good. But if you're saying there's no ksuba's been indifferent at all because it might lead to fighting and we're just going to divide everything equally and all we're saying is that the second wife or their kids take the ksuba, why is that a novelty? Well, if they're not collecting the ksuba, the heirs of the first one, they're just collecting the property evenly with everybody else. So of course the second ones are going to get the, 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 the property. They have the first, the, of course, the, the second ones are going to take their, the mother's ksuba before we would divide evenly. The answer is, since the mission was talking about the second one, her heirs, also speaks about the heirs of the first one. But the truth is that there's not really anything. They're not really yarshining their mother at all. So what the Gemara is defending is, is that maybe really we are very concerned about fighting. And therefore, if both sets of children aren't inheriting their mother's ksuba, nobody inherits their mother's ksuba. Everything, all the father's property will be divided evenly. All the Mishnah is saying is that the second wife or her children collect their ksuba before it's divided evenly. The only reason we even refer to the kids of the first one as Yarshim of the first one is just to show Agav that the second ones are Yarshim of the second one. But in truth, in reality, the first kids are not getting anything special from their mother's ksuba. And again, the reason is because it might lead to fighting. And because of that idea of fighting, the Rabbanon said, no special ksuba is now for the second deduction, we were trying to say, remember, there's only ksuba spin different where there's an extra surplus dinner. So here, where's the extra surplus dinner? So, 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 so we were saying it's mashma that there was nothing extra. It was mashma that the first kids would inherit everything and have to pay it all off to the ksuba, the second wife must be the ksuba payment, even though it's going away to a creditor, is considered like it was ba'etzim inherited, just paid off. So I can tell you, no, really something that I have to pay away is not considered that it was inherited to serve as the surplus dinner to activate the ksuba's been indifferent. I could say that there was another dinner which was left, meaning the Mishnah didn't mean that, they're gonna, that the first kids are going to lose every single last red cent. Maybe really there is going to be a little bit left for them at the end, let's say a dinner. It just means that they're going li- to lose virtually all of the inheritance of their mother, except for, let's say, mamash or dinner. So the point is, is that we don't see necessarily that a, something paid off to creditors could function as the most or dinner to activate the Aksibas uh, Okay, so now the Gemara launches in to whether or not this issue is really true. This issue of where a person left two wives, one who died during his lifetime and their kids want the Ksubas Menendechrin. The second wife died after he died and, and, and they want the Ksuba. Do we say that the first kids, where there's sufficient funds, Tom, he's a multimillionaire, do the first kids get Ksubas Menendechrin or are we concerned it's going to lead to fighting? So we say it's really Machlok Tanam. The Tanya says in the Bible, Mishra, 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 one wife died in his lifetime, one died after his death. The sons of the first wife can say to the sons of the second wife, you're just the children of a creditor. Take the ksuba, your mother too. Go away. Meaning, let us, Pashim Shat, let us inherit the entire ksuba of our mother. The fact that you're not, tough luck on you. All you get is, is your, your creditors, whatever amount your mother would have gotten, you get. But that doesn't affect our right to inherit the, our entire right of our mother's ksuba, which she's not collecting us creditor and her dowry. And then we'll just divide everything else equally. 
No, this they already jumped away from the sons of the first wife. Meaning to say that they cannot get the special inheritance of their mother's ksuba since the second ones are not. It already fell in front of the ones of the second wife. So what's the dispute? That's what we're talking about. That's the dispute. Two wives die, one during his life and one after his death. The heirs of the first wife still have the right to ksuba. That's exactly what they're arguing about. Amar Rabba, no. Ashkenu Rabbanu the Bei Ravzi. Yes, we come. I found the the Rabbanu and Ravzi Shiva. They were sitting and they're discussing the Brisa, and they said, "Kuli Amachs Bamochlo Yishin Ksuvas Ben Edichrin." Everybody holds fundamentally the the kids of the first wife have Ksuvas Ben Edichrin, even though there are children from a second wife who are not getting. It could be that they're arguing in a case where the after the first kids would pay off. The second kids, there wouldn't be anything left for them to inherit. And we want to know, could, is there a dinik suas bin indichrin where there's no extra surplus dinner? Here, the question is, could the ksuba that they're paying off serve as the surplus dinner? Again, that issue is, is it shot you be'etzim inherited more and splitting evenly just to get paid off to the creditor? Or do I say, Akama's getting paid off to the creditor and practically you're not inheriting anything else besides the ksuba's bin indichrin? So then the chachamim were misakin ksuba's bin indichrin. So they might be arguing about that issue. Tanakama holds the ksuba can become the extra for the ksuba. Or a dinner that would be given to your creditor can count as the surplus. Again, you inherit the extra part. Just practically, it has to be paid to a creditor. So therefore, there is a takana of ksuba's minidichrin here. that the ksuba is not considered like the surplus because practically it's not being, the extra dinner is not being divided even, evenly because practically the dinner has to go to the creditor. will be any creditor That's what they were saying over in the yeshiva. I, Rabbah, told her, people in the yeshiva, if it's a balchov, a random creditor, that's where the extra dinner is going. Everybody agrees that it may count as a surplus. Because if it's a random creditor, everybody agrees that they all have to pay it off, right? That's the idea. We are all obligated to pay off our father's creditors. So therefore, it's as if we're all dividing it, we're all equally inheriting it. Just what we do with the inheritance is pay off the creditor. However, Kibliyu Aksuba, they disagree only if Aksuba, something paid off for Aksuba, can serve as a surplus dinner. The reason Aksuba might be different is because if you think about it, when some of the kids are the creditors themselves, then it's not viewed that they all equally inherited it and just used it to pay off a creditor. Some of us were inheriting, some of us were, some of us were, were crediting, right? We're coming and taking away. So there, we don't view that there was be'etzim Yerusha on the extra part, and therefore there's no activation for the Ksubas Benedikran. Again, the concept is, is that there's only activation for Ksubas Benedikran when besides for the Benedikran, there's a little bit of inheritance. It's at least a dinner of inheritance. The Shaila is, is it considered that there was a dinner of inheritance if what we have to do with it is give it to a creditor or to a Ksuba? So Pashat, it's the same issue. Is it viewed that we're inheriting just doing with it or not? The Gemara is splitting to Baal and Ksuba. Baal we're all equally inheriting it, just having to pay it to Baal that's called that there was an extra dinner, and therefore there's an activation ksuba's been in different. Ksuba, where only some of us are really paying it, some of us are collecting it, so then that's not may not be considered that there was a Moser dinner. Says the Gemara, the language is off. Mazgafar of Yosef, Iach, if that's right, that the Machlokas is whether or not the money used to satisfy the ksuba is considered the extra dinner. Rabbi Kiva instead of Rabbi Kiva saying the estate already moved away from the sons of the first wife, Rabbi Kiva's lashon should have been if there was a Moser dinner. That should have been his point. His point should have been if there wasn't a Moser dinner, there's no ksuba's been indifferent. So therefore it doesn't sound that way and the Gemara concludes 
They're disagreeing about what happens if a, if a man's two wives died, one during his lifetime, one after his death, as we originally first proposed. And the question is just the basic child. Do we say it might come to fighting? Or do we say it's okay? And the first case can get to different. We conclude that's what they're arguing about as we originally thought. And again, what does our mission hold? We wanted to say our mission is a proof. The Gemara had deflected the proof. But after all is said and done, we end up that this issue is a machlokistanah.